This is the Visions and Tones podcast with Dr. T. Welcome to the Visions and Tones podcast. Today I've got a great powerhouse. This has been a long overdue discussion. Uh, some of you listeners have been asking if we can talk about different themes such as racism in the church, such as um, church trauma. And I've managed to secure a man I respect. Uh, Pastor Jack is a leader of a multiracial church uh, and multicultural church based in Johannesburg South in Terrefontaine. Um, he'll share a little bit about the church later on, but I've known him for a while, more than 10 years now, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. But um, he's yeah. been a great man. And what I love about you, Pastor, maybe as out of giving flowers is the fact that serving under you and observing your ministry, you are not a man who's just interested in the spiritual life of the church and also mainly the young people, but you're also interested in their success. Uh, you work hard to encourage them in their success, push them to go to, 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 to school, pursue education. And same as the parents, you push them to be better parents, creating, you know, functional families in the home because you know if, you know, at home is not properly functional, that is likely to sort of fall over to the community and also affect the church structure. I really want to commend you for that, sir. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, we thank right. you for such a day as today. We thank you for the yes, conversation Lord. we're going to have with Pastor Jack, and we pray, Lord, for the conversation to be fruitful, the conversation, Lord, to have meaning, to sort of impact yes, people who are listening on the other end. But also, Father, yes, we Lord. pray for unity in the conversation whenever this sort of seeing things in different ways, but we pray for your spirit, Lord, to sort of unite us and to bring us to the point where we are in alignment with your spirit in line, alignment with your word, you know, in alignment with your teachings. And we pray that yes, as we Lord. engage also, there'll be more teachings even between us in Jesus name. We pray. Amen. 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 Pastor Jack, Amen. thank you, sir. There's a yeah, lot of things I wish for us to sort of engage. Um, one of the things I love about your church, maybe we can start from this point. One of the things I love about your church it was mainly white dominated. You're talking about before 2007, somewhere there. The dynamics have changed and it seems they have shifted uh, drastically with time. And until your arrival uh, to the church, then the dynamics shifted even further from the white to be more black dominated. But I see now uh, our fellow white fellows are coming back into the church. I don't know if this is just my wrong observation of it, but um, apart from that, you, 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 the church has different dynamics ethnically. You know, in the context of South Africa, we've got different ethnic groups, but you also have internationals who are not South Africans themselves. Uh, they're from different African countries: Nigeria, Kenya, uh, Zimbabwe, and so on and so forth. Just from your own wisdom, pastor, pastoring a church like that, how is it like for you? You're originally from Zambia. How is it like for you? And if pastor can also share about how you cultivate issues of differences in terms of, you know, cultural beliefs bordering towards spirituality, because people can sort of try to use both systems, you know, even in the context of church. And how does that sort of yield into the scriptures according to, you know, the doctrines and the teachings from your church? Yeah, um, I think you've you've done a, a great summary of, of what our church looks like. Um, and uh, and uh, I commend you for that. Uh, that makes my job very easy. Um, so, so, you know, um, it's very difficult to pastor a church with those dynamics that you have explained, um, precisely for the reason that the different ethnic groups, they come with their different beliefs. And then they, they, each group uh, wants to sometimes dominate their beliefs on the church. And that becomes very, very challenging. Um, but one thing we have constantly uh, spoken about and taught is that uh, we have reminded the people that in Christ we are one. And because we are one, we need to be able to embrace one another. And that also means put aside 
our differences. So the fact that I don't speak your language and you don't speak my language should not be an issue. The fact that, you know, I don't eat your type of food and you, you don't eat my type of food should not, should not be an issue. So we've had to do that over the years and remind our people that uh, when we gather together, we are one. And that is why we've adopted English as a, as a medium of communication. Um, it is for that reason that we would like to, to be effective in communicating with everybody. Um, we don't want to communicate in any other language other than English because the majority, if not all, understand English. Yeah, so so I think what has helped us is to constantly preach about unity, uh, preach about the fact that we can be, be diverse, but at the same time we can be united and appreciate our differences. Uh, that doesn't mean it makes it easier. It doesn't uh, because, you know, I, um, we've still had you know, random uh, cases or experiences where we've had people offended. So, for example, people would be offended that we don't sing, sing the, the type of songs they sing from their country. Uh, we don't sing maybe enough songs in Swahili uh, from Kenya. We don't sing enough songs for, in Shona or in Debele from Zimbabwe. Uh, you know, we don't sing enough songs in Afrikaans. You know, that sort of thing. So every now and again, we do get people get offended. Uh, but we we kind of really just need to explain that to them and say to them, no, look, uh, we will have to stick to English. And every now and again, obviously, as you follow our services online, you'll find that we do um, include uh, vernacular songs every now and again. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, it's, a, it's a very challenging dynamic and uh, one that requires us to... Uh, over and over explain uh, uh, what unity in diversity looks like. Mm -hmm. What pushed you into the diversity? Is it something that just happened by itself or it's something you prayed for? So that's interesting um, because, as you know, I'm originally from Zambia and um, a number of foreign pastors uh, when they go to a foreign country, will attract uh, those people of their own nation. So a Nigerian pastor will go to it, uh, 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 will start a church in a foreign country, and uh, the church will be predominantly Nigerian members. Um, I, when 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 we felt the call of God to go into missions, uh, foreign missions more specifically. We, we prayed that God would give us a, a, a diverse type of people. That's what we prayed for. Um, so, But apart from praying for that, I think that it's also just, I believe, a calling that, that, that rests on my life and my wife. And that is why we, we, we don't struggle to interact with people of diverse, different races, you know, uh, different tribes and ethnic groups. Yeah, so obviously partly uh, is a calling, but also... We, we really specifically ask God uh, about it. How did you prepare for the diversity if you prayed for it? I mean, today we see a lot of mega churches that pray for people, speaks about diversity, and we're sort of confused what kind of diversity are they praying for? Because when it comes to sort of, you know, operations of things, then you begin to see there's a bit of a segregation, so to say. But how do you prepare, perhaps two questions, how do you prepare for um, how did you prepare for the diversity first? And then secondly, what would you say most of the mega churches um, uh, should do to prepare and make sure that they really practice diversity than practicing tokenism? I think the biggest part of the preparation uh, uh, doc is the heart. Um, you can talk diversity, but if your heart does not want to embrace diversity, then it will be seen in the type of uh, people that you're going to attract. So there are a lot of people, for example, that say they don't have an issue with other races, but their hearts, in their hearts, they have big issues. Um, and eventually what's going to show on the outside is, is uh, your heart. And so I think the main part of the preparation was to make sure that um, deep down in my heart, um, I really don't have, honestly, sincerely don't have issues 
with people of uh, different races, people of different ethnic groups. And, and, and that, that works out in the sense of me yielding myself to the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Because the more we, we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit, uh, the more he transforms our hearts, the more he reminds us that, that uh, our God is a God of diversity. You know, so, so yeah, so my advice to any pastor out there is I think we need to do introspection. We need to search our hearts. We need to look deep down in our hearts. So I've heard many preachers, um, even of mega churches that say from the pulpit, I don't have a problem with, with race. I don't have a problem with people of a different color, uh, different cultures. But what is happening on the ground is totally different, you know, and, and part of the reason for that, the main reason for that is because the heart of that person is still not aligned uh, to, 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 to the God of diversity. Mm-hmm. And in, do, does pastor preach about racism in your church as, as a way to attempt to show tolerance or that is not a topic you would say you preach about? So I've never actually picked racism as a, as a topic or as a sermon. I've never done that. And um, uh, but every now and again, depending on what type of sermon I'm preaching, I have touched on issues of tolerance. I've touched on issues of accepting one another. Um, for example, when I've spoken about love, uh, when I've preached about loving one another, um, I've always emphasized that. Uh, we can't say we love one another, but when it comes to someone of a different color, we have a problem. Um, then, then, then your love is questionable. Yeah. So, so I wouldn't say I've really uh, picked on racism as a sermon, as a topic, but every now and again, you know, I I touch on the topic um, as we talk about different things. Yeah. But is is that a topic that you think sh- pastors should preach about and uh, in their churches? Absolutely, absolutely. I think that I think that we need to we need to address it um, every now and again because the reality is, uh, uh, you know, uh, racism is real, and and racism is in the church. And when I talk the church, I'm talking about the church in general, uh, even the church globally. Um, so 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 it's something that I believe that every pastor needs to address it um, every now and again. And there've been times when I I have heard certain things, you know, that have been negative uh, with regard to segregation and stuff like that. And when I've heard that, I've deliberately then aggressively address, uh, addressed it from the pulpit. And I've said, just because someone is from another nation doesn't mean uh, we need to segregate against them because that's not what the Bible teaches. So, yes, no, totally agree that I think preachers need to be able to address this issue. But in what way, Pastor, would you say this has to be taught in a sense that I'm looking here at the um, uh, a scripture, Colossians 2 verse 8, says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human traditions and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So, I mean, when I look at the scripture, I'm thinking carefully and 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 perhaps now we can sort of move over to how we sort of work to transform community as a church. It seems to me there has been a growing trend today of churches trying to sort of filter in certain elements that are leaning towards philosophies, for example. Uh, we think of elements such as, I'm, I'm pretty sure pastor have seen of late, and and I would love to hear maybe Pastor sort of sharing your views about this. A lot of churches embracing the LGBT community, uh, filtering it into the church. Um, uh, arguments such as you know heterosexual and homosexual can coexist in Christ, but you find that if you look at that, it might be a scripture that is contrary. It might be sort of a preaching that is contrary to the scriptures. Uh, concepts such as race. So, for instance, we're talking about racism. Uh, 
when when I ask should people preach about it, I'm also thinking about to what extent should people sort of engage in the elements of racism in a sense that then a preaching does not end up sound, end up sounding like, you know, a uh, uh, philosophy. It's a very good point that you've raised uh, there, Doc. Um, and um, I, I think it's it's one of the things that we need to we need to be cautious against. Um, I don't want to become, you know, philosophical in the pulpit. And, and that's why when you ask me a question, have you ever preached on racism? I've never. Mm-hmm. But so so to answer your question, the context from which we need to address the issue of racism and segregation is the context of the word of God. So, for example, I gave the example of love. When we speak about love, then I would every now and again use that opportunity to challenge the people to say, well, it's easy to love a person of, of the same race as you. It's easy to love a person of the same language as you. It's easy to love a person of the same nation as you. Uh, but what about if somebody is of a different nation, a different language, a different culture? Would you still love them the same way? Uh, so the context has got to always be the word of God. Galatians uh, 3 verse 28, if I may just throw in that scripture. Galatians 3 28, it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So from that context, I mean, you can add if you want to, there is neither white nor black. There is neither Zimbabwean nor Kenyan. There is neither South African nor Nigerian. You know, we are all one in Christ. So it is it is in the context of the word of God that we need to address the issues of racism and segregation. So not not necessarily from the point of view of philosophy, because like you have said, mm. then, you know, we just, we, we are moving away from the word of God. Uh, the foundation of whatever we do as a church and, and as, as men of God or women of God has to be from scripture. But can that be the same thing that can be said? And I know that this one is the hardest thing most pastors are afraid to speak about. And I don't know whether pastor is comfortable to talk about it. So if we can say neither Jew nor Gentile, nor this, nor that, nor black and white, can that be the same thing that can be boldly said? Neither homosexual, heterosexual, bisexual, neither feminist or patriarchal, kind of driven person we are all in Christ or when it comes to those there seems to be you know scriptural preferences about this can never be tolerated at all and how does pastor communicate that to the church in a sense that you don't leave people offended and angry about them right so I'm going to sound very controversial my answer is both yes and no all right so so yes yes in the sense that um, when it comes to inviting people to Jesus and inviting people to church, we don't segregate. Um, I think you remember because uh, in the in the beginning when we 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 first came to the church, uh, you were part of our, our church and and uh, you knew some of the dramatic things that happened uh, in the beginning. So our church had an influx of uh, people of a different sexual orientation those years. And um, I, I remember that uh, the neighboring churches, uh, the pastors gossiped about me because they said that I was compromising because I was allowing people of a different sexual orientation to come to my church. But my argument was I cannot turn them away because as a church, we don't have this thing of the right of admission reserved. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody is welcome. I don't care whether they are drug dealers. I don't care whether they are prostitutes. I don't care whether they are homosexuals, lesbian, lesbians. Everybody is welcome in the sense that the church is actually there specifically, mainly to be able to, to be like a hospital, um, a place of healing and uh, transformation. And so it won't be a place of healing and transformation if we put a, a placard on the door of our churches and say only these type of people are welcome. Every person is welcome. 
The thing that we don't compromise, and that's where my no comes in, when is when we preach the word of God. When we preach the gospel, we don't compromise. So if the gospel speaks against um, homosexuality or lesbianism, we preach the word of God as it is. Um, and we, we're, not, we're not intimidated because these people are sitting in the congregation. And, you know, I can tell you now that over the years, we had quite a few people, my wife and I, helped quite a few people that actually transformed and, and their lives were changed uh, from their initial beliefs um, um, to what God really wanted them to be. And those that didn't want to transform obviously moved on and left. Yeah, so, so that, that, is my, that is my answer to your question. So, so in that case, Pastor, how do you sort of help out? How, how did the helping out sort of entail? So we constantly, even now, every now and again, even though we did, in the last few years, we haven't really had uh, a lot of people of a different sexual orientation in our church. But those years, what we normally did was I deliberately said from the pulpit, um, if you find yourself with a different sexual orientation and you feel that you need help or you need somebody to talk to, you're welcome. So I think it's important that the, the different type of types of people that we have in the church know that the doors are open, that I can go to the pastor or the pastor's wife and I can have conversation with him. Mm -hmm. I think that's important because sometimes the clergy makes it difficult for these people to come and to have conversation because we've already judged them and we've already condemned it. And, and, and so I just feel that we need to have an open door policy. And that is what I propagated from the pulpit every now and again. And as a result of that, we had numerous appointments where people said, Pastor, I would like to come and see you. Um, you know, and predominantly uh, the females. And, and uh, they would come and see me and my wife and they would open up to us and they would say to us, you know what? Um, this is the truth about me, but I'm not comfortable. Um, I've accepted it because I thought that's the way of life, but I'm not comfortable and I need help. And so we had numerous of those type of cases, and then we would then take it from there to be able to to help them. Right, yeah. right. And if we can go back, Pastor, to speak about racism, I mean, mm -hmm. your entry into 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 the church was welcomed with different kinds of behavior, different levels of pretension. Um, I was there, I observed that, you know, got emotional bruises in the midst of all that. And I'm keen knowing how did pastor sort of work out from kind of the racist welcome you've received to be where you are now? Yeah, wow. My, yeah, my experience was... Uh... Perhaps if pastor, doesn't mind, if, if pastor doesn't mind also sharing so that the listeners understand what kind of racism in particular was Pastor experiencing. Sure. Yeah. yeah, because I'm aware that obviously this is a global platform and, uh, and uh, the types of racism and the way that racism is, uh, is shown uh, is, is obviously maybe different from country to country. Yeah. So it's South Africa, it's the South African context that we are talking about. Um, my mom coming from Zambia. That's my background. So uh, Zambia is a predominantly black country. Um, and so and so we don't really have major issues of racism uh, compared to South Africa. South Africa has had the history of apartheid, as many of you might know. Um, and so and so there were a lot of uh, churches that were that were predominantly white churches. Uh, other churches were predominantly colored, depending on the on the race. Um, you know, so the church that we took over, where where uh, Dr. Nyundu and I were part of, um, many years ago, was a predominantly white Afrikaans uh, church. Afrikaans is obviously one of the languages spoken in 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 South Africa. Um, so obviously, after independence, the country got independence and. Um, but there were still uh, certain areas that were still predominantly, uh, you know, uh, white or predominantly Indian or predominantly colored, depending on the area. 
this church um, previously had white pastors. I was the first black pastor to take over this church. Um, the people were not used to having a black pastor. Now, obviously, there's stigma attached to color. Um, anything black, there's some kind of stigma attached to black. And so there were a number of people that were skeptical when they heard that uh, a black pastor is coming to take over this church. And um, so unfortunately, and this is why I said when it comes to racism, we need to accept and agree that it exists in the church. I think the problem I have, even with my fellow uh, white counterparts or white colleagues in the ministry, is that many of them don't want to accept that racism is still in existence in the church. And they will quote scriptures like Galatians chapter 3.28, there is neither Greek nor, nor Jew and, and neither male nor female, uh, to tell you that um, there's, there's no issues here. This scripture, yes, is true, but that doesn't mean racism still doesn't exist. It's still, it's there and it's real. And in my context, it was very real because even the leadership that I found in place were not very embracing of a black pastor. And so they were, they were determined to make it very difficult for me. Um, and they, they said that they would make it so difficult so that I would pack my bags and I would leave. And the bottom line was simply because I was of another race. That was the bottom line. So I had a choice. I had a choice to leave, um, go back where I came from. Originally, I was assistant pastor in Durban. I had the choice to go back to Durban. But I also had the choice to stay and fight this thing. Because it became a battle. I mean, uh, Dr. Nyundu knows he was part of the of the battle, the struggles that we had to go through. Um, it was intense. It was intense. Uh, but I think for me, the main reason why we felt that we needed to stay and fight this stigma of racism was because when we prayed about it, we really felt that God had brought us to this church for a reason. And God had a purpose for us being there. And uh, once we got that confirmation, we then decided, you know what? If we have to fight, we have to fight. Um, and then we make sure that we we direct this church in the right uh, direction uh, to make sure that, you know, any root of racism is rooted out of this church. So it wasn't easy, but obviously at the end, the people that were, uh, uh, you know, that had a problem with color, many of them left. And as you attributed yourself right in the introduction, that we had quite a number of white folks in the church and uh, and uh, many of them left. Um, there was no good reason for them to leave. It wasn't because uh, the pastor wasn't doing a good job. It wasn't because the church wasn't growing. Uh, it was simply because they couldn't adapt to the change of being pastored by a black pastor. And in fact, let me be extremely radical, Dr. Nyundu, and uh, some people might not agree with me, but it's my opinion. Um, from my observation, if you look at the nation of South Africa, I have never seen uh, a church pastored by a black person that is predominantly white. I have never seen that. Mm. I have seen many churches pastored by white pastors that have got many people of color as members of those churches. So I asked myself a question, so what is the issue? What is the problem? You know, and I'm not saying that every white person is racist. That's not what I'm saying. I've got many uh, uh, white friends that are great, that don't have issues of racism at all. Um, but my point is, again, um, it, out of observation, I see that many churches pastored by black pastors can never be predominantly white. That's been my observation. And yet you find many white pastors whose churches have got many members of color. Now, there might be other reasons why white folks would not go to pa churches pastored by black people. We can debate that. I understand that. Obviously, you know, some some of which would be maybe a lot of the 
churches pastored by black pastors maybe are not disciplined when it comes to time. Their services would start at nine o'clock and finish <laughs> at one, two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and, and our white counterparts, you know, um, are, are always in a hurry because they, they've got things to do and, and uh, they would not be willing to go to those type of churches. But there are great uh, black pastors out there whose churches, you know, start on time and finish on time. And there's no reason why white folks would not attend those churches, mm -hmm. you know. So at the end of the day, I just feel that uh, the church still has a very long way to go um, um, when it's when we speak about racism. So we mm -hmm. had to fight it. We had to deal with it. And uh, we had to pay the price. And the price was we had to lose quite a number of members who were not in agreement or acceptance of a black pastor. So what kind of a fight? Did it get any physical? <laughs> Let me ask like I was never there. I don't know that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting. Well, uh, um, I'm glad it never really got physical. Um, I think there were times that it almost did, uh, maybe verbally, uh, because there were times when my emotions were really aroused and I would get very angry uh, with these people who called themselves Christians, and yet they would use, and, and only South Africans will understand this, this context, they would use the K word. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't even want to elaborate what that means. Uh, uh, but so, so when that would happen, I would get very angry um, and my emotions would be aroused. So obviously we had to use the right channels in terms of fighting this racism um, I'm part of a denomination, as you know, we are part of the full gospel denomination. So there are channels and protocols to follow. Um, and one of which was I had to lodge a complaint uh, with a regional overseer because uh, every church um, has an overseer that uh, that oversees that particular church. So um, I had to lodge a complaint. Um, and then obviously the overseer had to set up a meeting to come and hear what the issues were in the church and um and then obviously had a disciplinary hearing uh with the people you know who were implicated with the issues of racism and uh and then it was a regional management that obviously made a decision to expel some of these leaders from our church and then obviously when that was done uh some of the uh, leaders just left by themselves resigned and they left so yeah so we had to follow the right protocols and the right channels uh, to be able to fight uh, this racism. So as much as we may say we hate racism, we do not condone racism, uh, Pastor, in sort of the tale of the talk you were giving now, you speak about people being expelled from church. The concept of expelling someone sounds more corporate for a church, doesn't it? And 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 I'm keen knowing... Would would Pastor say that was scriptural? And in terms of scriptural driven, how exactly should that case have been sort of uh, looked after? So what would what would Jesus do in this kind of a case? So in terms of scripture, uh, Doc, um, the 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 scripture does make it very clear that ultimately God wants to restore people and reconcile people. Um, but at the same time, if people don't want to be reconciled and people don't want to have a change of mind and they want to remain in their same way of thinking that is contrary to the word of God and segregate um, people on the basis of race, then the same scripture does provide um, there have been cases in scripture where people were, 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 were thrown out of fellowship or advisors that was given by the Apostle Paul uh, to, to expel people. And uh, the reason, again, um, is not so that the person should be destroyed, is, is hopefully that uh, after they've been expelled, that they would then learn some lessons and they would come back to their senses. Ultimately, that's that's the reason for expulsion. So obviously, that was not the first thing that was done. Uh, there were steps taken to try and resolve the issue with the people involved. But instead of them coming to the table and uh, and uh, developing a change of mind, uh, these people just continued to cause a problem. They continued to cause problems. 
They continue to cause segregation and they continue to cause division. Um, um, and so the overseer and the management of the region at that time had no choice but to expel them. At this moment, can Pasta confirm that things are a little bit better now? Or they oh, yes. are better hundreds? Oh, yeah. Yes. Well, not hundred percent. Um and 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 uh, but way better. So we had a better place than what where we used to be. Um, but obviously, we we we've seen a, a, a different form of segregation and racism in the last few years. Um, and what I mean by that is, as much as we don't have a lot of white folks in the church, um, we have a diversity in terms of different ethnic groups and different nationalities. Um, so every now and again, what, what I observe is that I find that the people from Zimbabwe are more comfortable relating to fellow Zimbabweans, for example. The people from Nigeria are more comfortable relating to fellow Nigerians. Mm -hmm. You know, the people who are South Africans are more comfortable relating to fellow South Africans. So again, it's an ongoing thing that we have to every now and again address the matter of segregation and say, listen, guys, we are one. We are one, and, and just because you're from another nation doesn't mean that you can only relate with people from your nation in the church. And so, yeah, so it's an ongoing project uh, that, that I don't think that will ever come to a place where it's done and sorted out 100%. Right, right. One of the things I wanted to speak to Pastor about is on church trauma uh, from the you know context of, obviously, we having the racial or racist experiences in, in, in the church, then I'm pretty sure many other people also in the congregation might have sort of felt somehow to see a church split like that or to see a church, you know, being divided in terms of people who claimed to sort of pursue love, but inside they're not sort of transformed to promote the love of God. They're still sort of thinking in a segregation kind of a way. How has... How does Pastor address the concept of church trauma if it ever comes out? And I'm saying this somehow with a heavy heart. Having been there, observed the racism there, moved away there, went to a different church, uh, a mega church, which I'll sort of not reveal the name now, but also getting there, discovering that there's still a whole lot of issues about racism. And I was in a smaller campus then, and then I moved over to this side uh, for my studies, moved to a church, and I discovered it's actually still the same thing, racism in the church. Um, and it can be color-coded in different ways, but at the end of the day, it's still racism, you know, where you find people being told about their accents, how they should sing sounding white, you know, um, uh, things about outfit, things about ageism, you know, and so on and so forth. All that for me can sort of create a certain level of trauma. So for me, you know, the, the idea of church trauma is big in a sense that I've observed a whole lot of those across different churches. And 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 sometimes it's not only in the context of the Pentecostals, even, even within the Catholics, there's similar issues. And today we find ourselves asking ourselves the question, why are people not wanting anything to do with church? and then would criticize and blame everything into the world, the secular world have taken center space. But at the same time, what if it could be the fact that we are not doing enough to address issues of church trauma, and as a result, also correcting ourselves from the inside out, so to say? So I will give different uh, various facets of uh, answers to your question, uh, because it is a bit complex. So trauma can be looked at uh, from different angles. Uh, so you get trauma. Uh, I went through the trauma. Mm -hmm. I went through the trauma. I mean, with the experience that we had in that small church as it was at the time, um, I ended up having a burst ulcer. I was very stressed. I was hurt. I ended up having a burst ulcer. I ended up um, in hospital. I was admitted in hospital. Um, um, I mean, that was part of the trauma that I went through. Um, and and so you get trauma where uh, the pastors or leaders themselves also go through trauma for various reasons. But congregants as well go through trauma um, because of some of the things that would 
be as a result of the leaders in the church. So you get trauma on both sides. You get trauma on the side of the leader. You get trauma on the side of the of the congregants. Um, so, you know, what helped us? I was speaking in our context and then maybe give advice in terms of what can happen moving forward uh, generally. So what helps in a setup like um, our setup, we, um, we are part of a denomination. We are part of a region. One of the reasons for having a, a regional overseer is that the overseer's role is to protect the, the congregants. One of the roles of the overseer is to protect the congregants from being abused by the pastor or the leaders of that church. But his role or her role would also be to protect the pastor or the leaders from being abused or traumatized by the congregation. So the overseer plays the two roles. And, and so those are some of the checks and balances that we have in, um, in our denomination. So for example, if the congregation feel that the the members feel that I I am you know the things that are happening in the church are are, are traumatizing you know I I'm I'm pushing the race card and I'm I'm causing segregation in the church as the pastor of the church, they have the right to go to the regional office and complain, and they can say to the regional overseer, this is what's been happening and this is the proof we are putting on the table. And it is then the, the responsibility of the regional overseer to investigate those allegations and to be able to step in to kind of protect the congregation from abuse and trauma. Um, but the other way, the flip side is also true. So when I felt that I was being uh, uh, traumatized and abused because of what was going on, I also have the right to go to the same overseer um, who is able then to investigate and eventually step in to ensure that, that that kind of thing doesn't happen. So I think the challenge here is when it comes to independent ministries and churches. So with a lot of, I'm not, I'm not saying all of them, but the majority of them are a law to themselves. So within an independent ministry, sometimes if I'm a leader of an independent church, um, I can do whatever I want to do. I can just, you know, decide I'm going to go this direction. And so many times the congregants have very little say in terms of the wrong things that I'm propagating in the in the congregation. So that's where the challenge comes in. Uh, but so in terms of in terms of handling trauma, I think the, the key is communication um, on both sides. I think if the pastor or the leader feels they are being traumatized because of what's happening. It has to be communicated. Depending on whatever communication channels uh, there might be in that particular congregation, um, you know, it's important that it's it's communicated, and uh, and and uh, you know, there's interventions that are put into place. But also, if congregants feel that they are going through traumatizing experiences, they're also not uh, not supposed to keep quiet. They're supposed to uh, uh, speak. Um, who they speak to is a different story mm -hmm. because sometimes, like I said, depending on the setup and the structure of the different congregations and denominations, you find that uh, sometimes the congregants are left at a loss and whoever they speak to doesn't really give them an ear and whatever they communicate doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. So, but also if people feel that they've gone through trauma, I think that uh, counseling would help. Um, you know, to just see an independent counselor that, that would take them through the process. And, um, uh, but also God is the ultimate healer. Uh, only God can heal. I mean, God had to heal my heart. I had to learn to forgive all over again. I had to let, to learn, to let go of the pain. I had to let go of the hurts all over again, you know, and make myself vulnerable again, you know? So again, God is the ultimate healer. I believe that there is no trauma that God cannot heal. There's there's no trauma that God can't heal. And again, part of the healing, uh, Doc, is that sometimes it's necessary that you pull out. I've met so many good Christian people 
who I've asked them, I said, do you go to any church? And they've said to me, not at the moment. I don't go to any church. There was a lot of things that happened. And right now I still feel that I need to heal. So I'm not going to any church. That's okay. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes people need time to heal uh, before they can get back to belonging to a congregation. Mm -hmm. But is that is that scriptural still to say I'm pulling off, I'm resting, then I'll come back again? Is is that scriptural or not everything should be based on scriptures? Uh, well, um, there, there is nothing specifically in scripture that stops one from doing that because at the end of the day, remember that healing processes differ from person to person. Mm -hmm. So we can't fast track the healing process in people's lives. Mm -hmm. For some people, healing takes longer. So you, you will never be able to force them to go back to church if they haven't healed yet. Um, so I really think that God is a God of love and uh, God understands us better than we understand ourselves. So I know that we can, those of us who are clergy can condemn people sitting at home and not going to church. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think that God knows our hearts better than what the clergy knows our hearts. And uh, so I think personally, and it's my personal opinion, I don't see anything wrong with that. Obviously, it's not a, it's not a permanent solution. It's a, it's a temporary season of their lives until such a time they are ready uh, to go back. Mm-hmm. Just two, two maybe last questions from, from myself, Pastor, and we can sort of take them into segments. Uh, first one is the church seems to be losing its plot, according to me, in terms of too many things are happening in the church, which I think they are not in alignment with scriptures. Um, you see in South Africa people being pushed or encouraged to drink uh, petrol, people pushed to, to, to eat, you know, red poison and so on and so forth, which is something not sort of um, uh, uh, biblical, not from the scriptures. You see today too many pastors, you know, being after money, monies, you see People are selling, you know, olive oils. People are selling too many things in churches today, holy water and so on and so forth. You see church, you see pastors today entering into different kinds of businesses. One of the cases, a case we were talking about just a couple of uh, weeks ago, you know, where, where, where a man of a well-known man running a big church has been said to be found with you know, people who do secular type of work and, and he's doing businesses with those people. But that at the end of the day, having a way to drag him and drag the name of the, the church, but also drag the name of Christ into the mud it, 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 because of that kind of a behavior. So I feel like the church is losing its plot in a sense that the core realignment into scriptures, the core preaching is not there. At some point, there's a phrase being thrown around about prosperity, but no longer the gospel that really challenges people to turn away from their wicked ways, you know, uh, uh, to turn away from from sin, so to say, and be in pursuit of the heart of God. I mean, Matthew 6.33 also tells, teaches us about, you know, uh, seeking the kingdom of God. So it seems seeking the kingdom of God has not become a first priority as of today. Is would you say it's wrong for me to sort of put an argument in that kind of a way? Or indeed, church is losing its plot. If so, how can we get back? So you're absolutely right. Um, unfortunately, the church, and when we say the church, we're speaking the church in general, has lost its plot. Um, when it comes to the initial gospel, uh, the word that... that um, uh, they intend to preach. The church uh, is supposed to be preaching. Uh, there's so many wrong doctrines and uh, 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 fake uh, uh, messages and sermons that are going out there. Um, and, and there are various reasons for that. So first, I would like to agree with you by saying, yes, the church has lost its plot. Um, and, and, and part of the reason is, is you know, the Bible has uh, uh, um, mentioned clearly about the fact that in the end times, you know, people will uh, stray from um, uh, from the truth. 
and they will run after doctrines of demons and and um, uh, wrong uh, uh, teachings and and those type of things. So that these things are to be expected because the Bible has spoken about these things. Um, and also then I would like to say that, um, you know, the church needs to then, we need to, uh, this need to be a wake-up call. We need to be able to wake up to the fact that um, it's our responsibility to direct people in the right direction and preach the truth of the word of God. Um, part of the reason why, you know, people even flock to those type of churches that you gave examples of uh, people being uh, given petrol to drink or being being given lizards to eat or rats to eat. They flock to those churches because people want miracles. They want instant miracles. They want their lives to just change by a snap of the finger or they, people don't like process. They don't like to go through the process. You just go to the scripture now, Matthew 6, verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then it goes on to say, then all these things will be added to you. What are those things? When you read the verses before verse 33, it talks about materialistic things, you know, food. It talks about material things. And uh, Jesus is saying, um, God is aware that we are in need of these things. But there's a, a process that you need to go through. And those things will not be an issue. God will add those things to your lives. But you find that many people don't want to follow the process of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. They want to rather just have those things on a silver plate. Um, there's processes like hard work, for example. Um, the Bible speaks about the fact that God will bless the work of our hands. And, um, you know, so blessings don't always come on a silver plate. Um, there's hard work involved. Um, you were just telling me that you've come out of uh, a, a teaching session of about six hours of teaching. Mm. Why? Because hard work is part of what God has called us to get involved in. And God says he will bless the work of our hands. So at the end of the day, we can't, we, we unfortunately will never be able to stop the wrong things from happening. It will happen because it's been uh, spoken about in scripture that in the end times, these things will happen. But at the end of the day, out of the churches that have gone and lost the plot, there's always a remnant. Out of the body of Christ, there's always a remnant. There will always be a few churches. There will always be a few preachers that will uh, maintain the straight and narrow. There will always be a few churches, a few preachers that will still continue to preach the truth of the word of God. I say we can't now throw the baby with the bathwater just because other churches have lost the plot and doing all kinds of things doesn't mean that, that we need to now condemn every other church. And that's it. That's an extreme that other people have. There are people who sit at home. They don't go to church. Why? Because they painted everybody with the same brush. And they said, I don't ever want to step a foot in the church because they're all the same. I think that that's unfair. Just because one man of God did this and did that doesn't mean that we need to condemn every servant of God. And so why? Because there'll always be a remnant, a few that will stand out, a few that will continue to make a difference. And that is what I always say. I cannot stop preaching prosperity because of a few preachers out there who have distorted the message of prosperity. Right. I need to preach prosperity in the context of the word of God and not the way that others have done it, where they manipulate people and enrich themselves at the expense of the poor. My message of prosperity is to help the poor come out of their poverty and help them become a blessing. Because isn't that what prosperity is about? God wants you and I to prosper so that we can be a blessing to others. I cannot be a blessing to you, Doc, if I don't have the blessing, mm -hmm. if I don't have the resources. So we need to prosper in that context. We need to prosper in the sense of making a difference. Um, and that's where also, you know, community transformation comes in. We are doing a lot of work in the informal settlements. Um, and there are needs. There are real mm -hmm. needs there. 
You know, there are people in poverty. Every now and again, we need to donate some food parcels. But how are we going to do that if the church is 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 uh, 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 broke? If the church doesn't have any finance, you know. So so uh, so as much as as much as these things have gone wrong, and uh, many churches have lost the plot, uh, we need to not paint the church with the same brush. But then, at, at those that are still preaching the truth, we need to not throw the baby out to the bathwater and uh, maintain a balance that is extremely important. So there's nothing much we can do about the the wildness that is going on with so many churches that are losing the plot. Uh, we can only warn the congregation. I'm warning my members all the time. Please don't uh, uh, find yourself in churches where the truth of the word of God is not being preached. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and all there is is, you know, propagating miracles and, and uh, prophecies and that's all you hear when you go into a church service. I'm warning my members all the time. And those that didn't like those type of warnings in my church, they've left. They left the church because they didn't like that type of thing. But those that are hungry for the truth have stayed. So I don't know if I've answered your question, but um, yeah. You definitely have, sir. And I think I've taken much more of your time already. It is, there's, there's too many things we can speak about. I've come to terms to accepting that that me and you can speak forever. <laughs> but unfortunately, right. we, we don't want to try to also overwhelm the guests. Looking forward to having you That's again right. in the future to sort of touch other segments. But thank you so sure. much, sir, for your time. Um, if maybe you can share with us, I think it, it will sit well with the last part that you were saying. We're talking about outreaches, you know, a, a community outreach that you do. If you can share just briefly with us, how can people get access to your church and what kind of programs are there for them? And, and, and yeah, maybe that could be the last thing I'm requesting for tonight. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So, so, you know, we, we, we believe that, but we, we, we are not there to just uh, satisfy ourselves as members of the full gospel church. I've told my members so many times, if, if all we do is come to church, have a nice time, go back home, come to church, have a nice time, go back home, come to church, have a nice time, go back home, then we might as well close the doors of the church mm-hmm. because we are there to be uh, to be a catalyst, to, 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 to be a transformer, to cause transformation in our community. So as such, we are involved in quite a few outreach programs. As I've mentioned, you know, we, we, we have an informal settlement um, that is not very far from, uh, from the church. This is literally a piece of land that that is a pileup of um, of um, uh, residue from the mines, and that has piled up to become what they call the Yellow Mountain. Mm-hmm. It's become a hard rock, but right on top of that rock is families, about two hundred families that are living there, obviously in very difficult conditions, with no running water, no flushing toilets, uh, no proper buildings because they are not allowed to build buildings because it's a mine dump. Um, and so we we go there from time to time. Uh, we we started off by providing food parcels to them, but then we decided to start services, church services, right on the mountain. So every second Sunday we have a team after the first service that goes there for a church service, and then every now and again we provide food parcels. But we've also partnered with an orphanage, a very well known orphanage in South Africa, um, a home, a children's home. It's called Nkosi's uh, Haven Children's Home. Um, and um, uh, many, many South Africans might know the, the history of Nkosi, uh, the late Nkosi. Um, and uh, the, the name of the home was named after this boy that was HIV positive. Uh, yeah. He was one of the longest children that lived with HIV and AIDS. And so we partnered with, uh, with the home. And as a church, every second Saturday, we go there for a service. Uh, but then when every time we go there, we also feed the children out of our resources we give them something to eat. I can tell you now that we are very accountable to all the resources that come in for the purpose of outreach. Yeah, mm-hmm. so so those are the few things that we are doing um, in terms of contributing to the transformation of our community. Thank you, man of God. Found in Johannesburg South. I still get the address wrong. Number 40, 40 Corner Alexandra and Garden Street. Is that is that correct? That's right. That's right. <laughs> I still remember. <laughs> I always got it wrong. So in Turpentine, <laughs> Johannesburg South, they've got uh, two services in the morning now. What's the times? 
8 o'clock first service and 10 o'clock second service. Amazing. Pastor Jack Chira, thank you so much, sir, for chatting with us. I don't know if Pastor wants to release us with prayer. Let us just pray together. Yeah. Father, in the name of Jesus, uh, we want to thank you for this discussion that we've had with your servant, uh, Dr. Nyundu. I appreciate the platform that you gave me and, and, and for the discussion that we had, not because we know everything, not because I know everything. Um, I, I was able to just share my heart and my opinions. I pray that whatever I shared will be able to help somebody there who might listen to this discussion. Uh, maybe those that have been traumatized, hurt in church. I pray, Father, that you would just bring healing uh, to their hearts because ultimately you are the ultimate healer. People can go to counseling sessions and they can do all kinds of things to get help. But at the end of the day, I know that you are the ultimate healer. Just like I've been hurt so many times and yet you have healed me so many times. Mm. Um, I've been traumatized many times because of the things we've been through in church and yet you've been able to heal and restore my heart so many times. Um, we're grateful for this platform and we pray that as, as your servant continues to use this platform uh, to be able to share and discuss different types of topics that you will make this uh, platform relevant um, to meet the needs of the people out there, uh, whether it's religion or whether it's uh, secular-based uh, topics, I pray that you will make it useful to many people that will listen to the discussions that will happen on this podcast. So I pray a blessing over every listener right now. And I pray a blessing over uh, Dr. Nyundu uh, and his life and his career. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you so much. You're welcome, man. Thank you. God bless Thanks. you. Bless you too, sir. Thanks, listeners of the Visions Thank and you. Tones. We'll talk to you soon. Go ye and be best human beings and best versions of yourselves. And we are out. This is the Visions and Tones podcast with Dr. T.